0: You're listening to Superpower Curiosity with Dr. Richard Gillette. And I'm Molly Ruth, producer for the podcast. Season one of Superpower Curiosity is all about getting beyond divisiveness and why we feel so much better when we do. This is a subject Richard is passionate about and is the theme of his recent book. It's a freaking mess. How to thrive in divisive times. This episode is about emotion, money, and votes, excerpted from It's a Freakin' Mess and read by Richard himself. Here we go!
1: Politicians and the media relentlessly bombard us with invitations into emotion, excitement, foreboding, fear, tension, arousal, anger. Alarm, longing, curiosity. It is primarily emotion that prompts us to click on advertisements, emotion that drives us to vote one way or another. Divisive emotions like anger and fear can be particularly effective in getting people to buy and to vote. It's not always easy to see this. Most of us are so accustomed to living in an atmosphere of worry and aggravation that it appears, well, kind of normal, just the way things are in the modern world. We may not notice when our feelings are exploited for political or commercial ends, and it may be difficult for us to see the cost in terms of our everyday peace of mind. Politicians Most politicians use divisive tactics at least some of the time to gain votes and cement power. We all know this, but we may not fully realise the extent of the negative effect this can have on us personally. When a politician otherizes his opponents by calling them divisive names that imply bad, selfish, stupid, greedy, inhuman or evil, this tactic coheres the politician's base through the common emotion of anger or its many aversive expressions, such as indignation, dislike. Frustration, contempt, outrage, or hate. Otherization, as anyone who follows politics could observe, can be an enormously effective means of building one's power base. It has been used for millennia to generate support for the ascendancy of one tribe, one political party, or one nation over another. The most famous example from last century was the ability of Adolf Hitler to generate intense otherization by the German people against Jews, Slavs and anyone who was not Aryan. Aryan was a category of human beings entirely invented by Hitler. This was a vivid demonstration of the destructive effects of otherization, the power of a single leader to disseminate it, and the viral nature of its spread. The fear and anger generated by otherization cements populations into a stance of protection of the gang of us and aggression toward the gang of them. When we think of the us as right and good, and the them as wrong and bad, our minds have been hijacked. The brilliant, multifaceted mind turns into a simple switch that has only two modes of movement – on-off. Us-them. Right-wrong. Our capacity for complex thought has been reduced to black and white thinking. We can no longer see the shades of grey because our thoughts have become governed by the simpler needs of the emotional body. As soon as we are angry or fearful, these powerful emotions of self-preservation tend to direct the mind into one of two divisive priorities, protection of ourselves from the perceived enemy and attack against that same enemy. The intellect then follows the emotional directive and comes up with any number of reasons to justify the division. Political parties in general tend to encourage we're good, they're bad, black and white thinking. Such thoughts foster outrage, which stamps the black and white beliefs with even greater certainty. I know I'm right. Feelings don't lie. Political leaders regularly use this vicious cycle to hook supporters. Gaining power over one group through demonizing another is effective because of, and this may sound strange, our natural capacity for empathy. On the most basic level, we empathize with others by resonating with their feelings. In this way, emotions spread, whether they are divisive or inclusive. Many politicians learn to use this human capacity for emotional connectedness in a divisive way. That is, they unify one group by attacking a second group. Once a group has been united in anger, so long as the anger remains, each member becomes effectively less intelligent, less discerning, less able to see beyond blame. On a mental level, this is because anger directs the mind into ruts of us-them thinking ruts that can sometimes be so deeply gouged that we cannot see over the edges to the mountains of other possibilities. On a physical level, when we are angry, neuronal impulses are actually shut down in our forebrains, the prefrontal cortex seat of rational thought, leaving our instant action lower brain dominant. The shutting down of the forebrain during fear or anger is well-documented What is scary is that this is not necessarily temporary. When fear and anger become habitual, they actually alter the structure of the brain. This is because brain tissue, like muscle tissue, grows with use and shrinks with disuse. Incessant dwelling in fear or anger causes shrinkage of the dendrites, the connections between neurons in the prefrontal cortex, the primary seat of intelligent understanding. This physical shrinkage in the prefrontal cortex is combined with expansion of the dendrites in the primal amygdala, a key centre in the fight-and-flight mechanism. Politicians may not know the neurology of how anger diminishes intelligent discernment, but many know instinctively that if they can generate anger, they will have followers. And some politicians, as I mentioned, are immensely clever at tapping into a population's anger or dissatisfaction over diminishing wealth, and redirecting this anger in blame of a minority group that has limited voting power. Another common tactic is to ramp up the rhetoric against another country, implying that the home country is in imminent danger of attack from this foreign power. Such tactics have been used for thousands of years to incite warlike coherence against a trumped-up enemy. It is no easy matter to deal with a talented anger generator. On the one hand, a politician's anger and insults may unite his base. We are highly social beings, and emotions are extremely contagious. On the other hand, those who disagree may easily get caught in the same anger. The anger is directed in the opposite direction, that's true, but the anger is still the same emotion with all the negative effects it has on us. Either way, we've just gotten sucked into what the divisive politician has orchestrated. Anger on one side increases anger on the other in an almost endless vicious cycle. Anger versus counter-anger cements the lines of battle and reinforces a divisive worldview. This is not just a political trap. What those in power may do affects us personally. Because we suffer from our own emotional reactions, resentment, indignation, contempt, outrage, unease, worry, fear, anger. But if we recognize how these feelings may have been manipulated by party machines, that gives us a little more control. More on what to do about this in chapter 6. Media. Listening to too much news is bad for your health, physically and mentally. On the mental level, our minds become disrupted by the frequent descriptions of conflict, the endless battles of party politics, the spats, the snubs, the spikes of sarcasm. The riling of our mind ruffles our emotions of fear, anger, or rage. These emotions inevitably affect our bodies. They increase muscle tension, reduce the quality of our sleep, and diminish our resistance to disease. Many people take a news media dose of hostility three or more times a day without ever thinking of the long-term effects. A daily diet of hostility is immensely bad for us. When we practice hostility, we develop the habit of hostility. Over time, our habits become our personality, and Beyond this, several medical studies have shown a statistical correlation between the chronic harbouring of hostile thoughts and death through disease. In one such study published in the Journal of Psychosomatic Medicine, 255 physicians were psychologically rated for personality traits, including a rating for hostility. A follow-up was done with these medical doctors 25 years later. Doctors who had had a hostility score in the upper half of the hostility range at the age of 25 were more than four times more likely to have developed coronary artery disease by the time they were 50 than were their colleagues with lower hostility rankings. The doctors with higher hostility scores were nearly seven times more likely to die from any cause. In another retrospective study on 118 law students, 20% of students who were in the top quarter of hostility scores were dead before they reached 50, as compared to 4% of students in the lowest quarter of hostility scores. How much the news media contribute to the morbidity and mortality from hostility is of course impossible to measure. There is also a lot of variation between news sources in how much they ignite partisan hostility. Nearly all news media, however, are more or less dependent on some drama and outrage for their sales. While drama can be positive or negative, more of it is negative. The media gains readers or viewers by inciting various emotions, like anger, fear, Surprise, suspense, curiosity, inspiration, excitement. Some media use clickbait traps to incite these same emotions. Clickbait works even when we know we're being played with, when we can clearly see the angler's hook and line clumsily knotted to the bait. Clickbait is not necessarily negative. Some clickbait can lead us to useful information. Outrage clickbait whether informative or not, is designed to fire our adrenaline response. This can be in the smallest of ways. Here's one that invaded the phones of millions of people who might just once have shown some interest in the quirks of British royalty. Here it is. Kate snubs Meghan Markle? Question mark? The question mark might appeal to your sense of curiosity. Well, did she or didn't she? While the snub invites you into some small amount of mildly entertaining outrage. Click. You read the article. Navigating your little boat of intention past the countless rocks of ads as best you can without inadvertently hitting one, until you finally find out that, no, Kate did not snub Meghan Markle. Not even a tiny bit. Now you're no longer upset at Kate... You're upset at having been hooked by the clickbait, even though you saw the hook, and having just wasted another ten minutes of your precious time. And yet, evidence shows, we fall for these kinds of baits over and over again, even after repeated disappointments. The more adrenaline an article can force you to secrete, the more likely you are to read on, the more likely you are to remember the article and post it, and the more likely that you and the others you posted it to Will respond to the advertisements. The more adrenaline a show can make you secrete, the more likely you are to watch it and to recommend it to others, thereby contributing to audience numbers and advertising revenue. When the adrenaline-raising techniques are used on political issues that are already inflammatory, it is easy to hook an audience into angrifying divisions. Some media are unashamedly partisan and deliberately foster hostility against the other side, They choose presenters or hosts who are skilled at riling emotions against the enemy. Some of these hosts are overtly angry. Their hostility is contagious and often spiked with ridicule. Other hosts use more satire and sarcasm. They get their audiences laughing at the enemy. All this has entertainment value. There is excitement in getting mad at them or in laughing at them, I don't mean to put down laughter, which of course can be fun, releasing, therapeutic. It's just that when our laughter contains derision, there is an edge of anger that riles both us and them. Partisan performances by TV hosts, otherizing news articles, and angry politicians create alarm in our mental and physical systems. Repeated alarm creates the toxicity of accumulating adrenaline responses, and we, the news imbibers, end up living in a more or less perpetual, internal, toxic environment. But we can quite easily protect ourselves from the divisive influences of media and of politicians. The subjects of chapters 5 and (laughs) 6.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Superpower Curiosity with Dr. Richard Gillette. We want to hear what you think about the show, and we're also putting together listener questions for upcoming episodes. So if you have a question or comment for Richard, you can send an email or voice memo to superpowercuriosity at gmail.com. If you're liking what you're hearing, please take a moment to leave a review and or tell a friend about the podcast. It really helps. Episode 4 is scheduled to come out in two weeks, so subscribe now so you don't miss Richard's take on how divisive emotions can save or ruin your life. Till next time, stay curious.